0: She is sure, she is strong, she is strong, she is true. She is true. She is brave, she is brave, she is bold, she is you. She is you, she is you, she is you. She is sure, she is strong, she is strong, she is
1: true. She is true. She is brave, she is brave, she is bold, she is bold, she is you. Hi, I'm Charlotte Feltcher host of the Kid Fun and More podcast on Word of Mom Radio. I've written several books on creative play for kids, including my latest, Kid Fun 401 Easy Ideas for Play. On our podcast, we'll talk to people who care about kids in many different ways. Experts, entrepreneurs, psychologists, parents, teachers, and others. While learning about their line of work and special interests, We'll also talk about their memories of fun they had when they were young. I'll also share a kid fun tip that we hope will enrich your experience with kids. And now it's time for our guest. I'm very excited today to introduce you to a friend of mine who is a very accomplished composer, musician, teacher. It's an honor, Paul. This, this is Paul Smith. He is an active composer, performer, and educator. He has premiered dozens of works. His compositions have been featured in venues ranging from the Alice Tully Hall to even Seoul, Korea, and he receives regular commissions for new works. He received his bachelor's of music from the Mann's College of Music, where he was awarded the Associated Music Teachers Award, and Mr. Smith received a master's degree from the Juilliard School, specializing in creating performance-based educational outreach programs. I know Paul Smith because he's the director of Tune Up Philly, an extensive outreach program for underserved Children in Philadelphia, and it's a division of the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra Music Institute. He's so innovative that he recently created another PYOMI ensemble called Pizzicata Players. He's an expert at expanding music opportunities for youth. But Paul, firstly, hi,
2: how are you? Hi, Charlotte. Thanks for having me. We're doing great and we made it to 2022.
1: Yeah, thank goodness for that. Tell us first, you have a new CD out. I'd love everyone to know about
2: that. Oh, thank you for asking. So this is my third sort of major label release. The first two were on now defunct Vienna Modern Masters label in in the world of classical composition. it's, It's all very boutique brands, but the headline would be that David Loeb is a composer from the Mannes College of Music since the late 1950s and was at Curtis for 25 years, the Curtis Institute of Music, right across the park from us in Philadelphia, as one of the composition chairs. And he's sort of the Talamon of the Upper West Side. And what I mean by that is he's extremely prolific and has just been in the game for So many years, you know, almost 60 at this collegiate level, and this latest premiere. It's on the Centaur label, which is an American classical music label. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple iTunes. You can search it. It's got the the very long title of "Painting Landscape Text and Sky" Hmm. works by David Loeb. And traditionally, David Mears has Western and Asian influences in a Melanja styles, But this particular collection features works around Prague or kind of bohemian artist, Jacob Schickenator. So there's a series called Studies in Darkness. And then there's other pieces that talk about the, the autumn in Japan. So it's solo classical guitar, and it's it's a third release on this album.
1: What, what I respect so much is that you give so much to young people with this incredible talent, but also your program called Tune Up
2: Philly. Would you tell everyone what Tune Up Philly is? Very quickly, Tune Up is, we call it the orchestral pathways program. And in Philadelphia, there's such a rich tradition of performing arts, but there are arts deserts all throughout Philadelphia where the resources are just not connecting to the neighborhoods. So we have boots on the ground faculty. We've had faculty on our team for over five years. And it's a combination of intensive OST programming and then arts matriculation pathways. So the short of it is we've auditioned students students have begun with us and have gotten into every program in Philadelphia and are now going off to college. So, you know, we're really talking about the benefits of intensive music performing in communities. And, and I think that's okay. the heart of the story.
1: These are kids who probably didn't expect
2: to go into music, right? This is a, you kind of opened a new world for them. Is that right? I think for them and for parents, I think sometimes the performing arts are very distant and it can seem like a gated experience. So bringing this right into the classroom, you're educating the community to be proactive about the benefits of music. So we know that like the cortisol, the stress level and the benefits for even micro trauma experience with students, music is so supportive in that because of the qualities we can go into that a little bit, but it teaches parents to become advocates for things that they know are great for their children. So we're also teaching the communities to champion these opportunities and say, Hey, we want more performing arts opportunities and we help bring those.
1: And back up for me a minute. How old are these kids?
2: So the, Kind of sweet spot this year is third grade through middle school, so third to eighth grade. This is sort of the core time, and and this is you know for parents and for students. You only get one childhood no matter how how you try to slice it, and the best time to start music is in that period. The brain is forming, the identities are forming, and the time is there. So the resources are really there. You know, I think in this community, a lot of people say, oh, you teach children. Well, I really teach adults. They're just not adults yet, and it takes a little bit of time.
1: I love that. You know, for our audience, I have a public relations business. Many of you know that. And I have worked with Philadelphia Youth Orchestra Music Institute for over 10 years. And when I watch the young children in Tuna, Philly, stand up to an audience and perform, the pride they feel, the pride their parents feel, you know, especially because it wasn't the plan. It wasn't like this as a parent and thought, I want my kids to get involved in music. I was involved in music. This is all new. So tell us also, you started to say something about the benefits for parents. What do you think are all the benefits that parents should be aware of that music brings? You did mention some of that, but it's also for the parent themselves, that sense of pride that I see
2: on their faces. So beautiful. Absolutely, Charlotte. It's a mechanism for self-growth. And it's also an opportunity to learn alongside your child. So in a nutshell, my advice is to not get caught up on the details, but children are also extremely picky. Sometimes the instrument will speak to them in ways that they never had thought. So there's instrumental study, and then there's large ensemble study. And when you're bringing this into the household, it gives parents a way to spotlight their child in pop-up recitals and family concerts. But you can also learn alongside them. That helps to create like an eye-level experience because the family dynamics can be varied and there can be stress at home and you may need a mechanism to be eye-level with your children about something that you're sharing together. I think that's really critical. When students learn music, they're learning themselves. They're learning how their bodies work, which is really important. They're learning how to control and be responsible for content. And they're putting, hopefully, their dreams into reality, like literally, what music are they passionate about? Let's make that happen. So it's very empowering. It's, it's got a, a toolkit that is setting kids up for each next stage in life. And that's why we call it pathways, because those pathways may be audition, but they may be acing that next test or being prepared in the way that you need to, which music really frames nicely.
1: And that, that's one thing I wanted to add, is that the discipline that children have, when, because they have to practice they go to rehearsals. They feel committed to doing the best job they can. That that extends to every
2: aspect of their life, right? Absolutely. It it kind of frames it. And we talked about parents seeing their children on stage, right? The the sort of I kind of call it the rock star uh, treatment, because for so long there's been a kind of thinking that that the stage is only reserved for some sort of status quo. But when you get down to it. Really, we're all celebrating life and we're all celebrating art. And Philly has just modeled that the community is receptive to that. So when you put a kid on stage or you take them to the Phillies, we play a Sixers game. You know, you sometimes are like, why, why is this important? What's the value in this for, for everyone? Well, you're showing what's possible and you're advertising to students that, hey, if this child can do it at this peer group, so can you. That creates a feedback loop, a positive feedback loop. And, you know, we've been iced because of this pandemic but we're, we're bringing that loop back up and, and hopefully getting back into it with tune up. So there's also the, the student performance perspective. And then the parents are just saying, you know, finally getting some spotlight attention because if you're in a city and, and In a large school, sometimes it can feel that you're just part of this unseen blob. And the spotlight experience just carves out a little bit of personal attention, especially in a city where it's just really tough to get, you know, personal spotlight.
1: You know, I remember when I went to Temple University, I used to say I'm just a number. I mean, eventually that changed, but it was so big. And I wasn't in the personal spotlight. I didn't feel great about myself as a student. And so for these students to feel that there's something special about them. There's something a little different because they're playing that violin or they're playing a guitar or whatever the instrument is. Wow, it's a wonderful, it's like extra padding on their shoulders as they walk through life forever. One thing that doesn't seem to be in schools much is the large ensemble. I remember seeing my schools always had an orchestra or a band, but I don't think that's around much in schools anymore. Why is the large ensemble so important of a focus within your work?
2: So this is really where you get that peer dynamic at play. So I think, you know, band programs and orchestra programs in schools just require multiple years of support. And there's a lot of logistics around and you have to have that culture and that buy-in. What we're seeing now is, and and also I think to, to mention that band and orchestral practices are very graded. They have state competitions, they're very expensive, and there is a very clear bar you have to audition in. And you have to uphold the standard, although most programs are extremely supportive. What we're seeing in tune-up with the large ensemble, which is also nationally, is that there's just more space below those requirements, and you can benefit from the large ensemble day one. So when you're dealing with a new faculty who's never done any sort of OST community programming, they're, all, they're acculturated with these benchmarks. and Paul, you can I only, have to
1: interrupt. What yes. is OST?
2: Oh, OST is out-of-school time, so after-school programming.
1: Oh, yeah, I never heard that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess it's kind of jargon, kind of industry jargon, but the, the point is that even with OneNote, you can do, you know, like OneNote Samba. You know, the idea of generating and going to where the students are, so that's where that arranging the composition and knowing the pedagogy so that you can create an ensemble day one. So whether it's one note, we can get on stage and do a one note samba and and have rhythmic experience and build an ensemble that the public responds to favorably, but it's years behind what we would be considered graded band and graded orchestral standards. In a nutshell, again, I think it's the emergence of more amateur markets. I think that America has to develop support for amateur markets where it's Mm. okay to play. It's okay to play. Instead of having to constantly be hitting some magical metric, where you're not valuable until you can play your 24 scales up and down blindfolded, every rhythm, you know, there can be success before success. And I think America is figuring this out very slowly. You know,
1: I I when you talked about the band competition, the amount of pressure on kids when they get into a competition and that they have to stay in line with the rest of the band, and God forbid they make a mistake and something happens. I'm all about kid fun. I'm all about children expressing themselves creatively. So the competitions sometimes are just too much, do you think?
2: I think, see, so we deal with this issue all the time, and you're blending, you know, for me it's always conservatory and radio, you know, those two worlds. For the right student who's on a path who's competitive, I mean, I grew up actually a competitively showing equestrians. So I did horse jumping mm. and I was competing before age 10 in A shows. So I grew up with, with competition and it's, it's a plus and a minus for me because I can't shake it. I'm always competing. So for some, it, you need to test your skills right. and test your might, but those are established. We know that they exist and we know how to test your might. Those pathways exist. What doesn't exist is the more supportive, more community-based, because the instruments are hard in and of themselves. I mean, the embouchure for woodwinds and trumpets is infuriatingly difficult. The intonation with violins with no frets is very challenging. And pluck strings, the coordination of, you're coordinating your your mind, your body, and your spirit into manifesting a three-dimensional product that we can't see, right? It's in our ears, but it's in the space. It's in the airspace. So what happened is, you know, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. If you prioritize too much competitive placement tracking, then you're losing this organic and, and you're losing students to find their own voice too, which of all places, music should allow for that, that individuality. So I think you've got to start marrying the two standards a bit and allowing for a little bit more kid fun in music. You can still learn great pedagogy. You can still have great fundamentals. But so many people stop performing when they become an adult, and I think it's because of a response to this do or die, jump jump this high or get out kind of philosophy in the arts sometimes.
1: I love that you said that about the kid fun in music, and I do think we need to always remember that in all aspects of learning. Let's take a break, and we're going to come back and talk more about that. We want to take time to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Kid Fun and More on the Word of Mom radio network.
3: It's no secret that moms only want to purchase the very best products for their families. The Green Beaver Company makes that possible by offering nearly 100 personal care products each made with 100% natural ingredients that are safe for everyone in your family. Green Beaver is a Canadian company that started in its founder's kitchen in 2002. This husband and wife duo transformed part of their kitchen into a lab to create products from organic GMO-free ingredients. Their hobby then emerged into a mission to give you access to body skin and oral care products that are safe for babies kids and adults all while being gentle on our planet an absolute must try is their family-friendly fluoride-free toothpaste They're made with xylitol, which is a safe ingredient used to prevent cavities. They come in exciting flavors like bubblegum, strawberry, zesty orange, and even cilantro mint. So everyone in the family will find one they love. What a fun way to start the day. Head over to greenbeaver.com and discover all their products. So take a look at StadiumBags.com. You'll see why we're your clear choice, because safety, it's in the bag. We're back to
1: continue more with Paul Smith and learning about Tune Up Philly, his philosophy of teaching children music on all levels, the wonderful composer and musician, Paul Smith. So what are ways to engage children musically without formal training lessons? you have tips like that?
2: Absolutely. Call and response, and I mentioned it earlier, the radio are, are so useful. Some students love to sing, so you're going to get a, an instant connection with song. A lot of us out there aren't vocalists, so how do we engage with this? Well, call and response is, is so critical. So it really does break down to ages, right? One of the most endearing programs that we did with TuneUp was a pre-verbal workshop with parents at the Children's Hospital Philadelphia. And what we did was we just taught parents and students who were pre-verbal to use percussion instruments and to make space for performances where they can bond with their children without words. So that can be oral, it can be rhythmic-based, but it is really linked to each development phase in life and where they are in their development, what age. So I say call and response because you can buy instruments they don't require a doctorate to play, right? There's percussion instruments. There's anything that a parent may be familiar with, keyboards, and just the idea of call and response. And call and response is is a tradition where someone introduces a rhythm and then the child repeats it. So you hear in lunchrooms all the time, you hear, it's a reset that, that kind of teachers overuse a little bit. But what it does is it creates kind of um, a restart for that relationship, and it changes the page. So parents can engage in call and response with their children and make it as varied as they're able to, and I think also developing listening skills and a playlist. That's why I say radio. Ask your children, what do you like to listen to? What is moving you? And nurture that. You know, you may find it's just so interesting if you start these conversations, and we all have radio, but turn the dial, because your child may have, I don't know how this works, Maybe it's just in the DNA, but your child may have a passion for other music that you don't appreciate yet. So turn that dial and find in other styles and, and ask questions. So aside from call and response and, and active listening, develop those playlists. And, and I think the other thing, which is much more intuitive, is to be observing. And when you observe your child at any age, get traction on an idea. Write that down. Get that notebook out. Make a note of it and nurture it in that direction because it's very organic. And I think that's what we're speaking to is that you've got to go with the flow and get in where you fit in. i just seen so many students who do have different styles, or different preferences than their siblings and their parents, and it's just so unique. So you've got to dial it in, and it can take time. You know, sometimes students don't want to play that instrument, and they don't want to go to that class, but they they may want to do the other options.
1: So, Paul, excuse me that I didn't say anything, but I took notes. I love everything you just said. I do have an activity in my kid fun book that is clap like me. And so everybody mimics each other with rhythms, but develop a playlist that is so interesting and turn the dial on the radio and be sure to get to the classical music so the children can hear that as well. And I think exposing them to classical is so important. Paul, I'm going to have to have you as a guest on television because (laughs) I love all this this is just perfect. Um I want to segue a minute. What is your memory of you having kid fun when you were young with music? What's your story?
2: So, I was fortunate to grow up with music loving parents, so forty fives vinyls. I remember getting the tape decks and learning how to record off the radio. And surprise, surprise, I would you know they had something called the top nine at nine. I would stay up till nine o'clock. I would record my favorite songs off the radio and make little tapes and playlists. So I'm a child of the eighties, but you know, what seemed kind of a knock, you know, like, Oh, you're just recording stuff off the radio. What you're really doing is establishing and confirming your tastes. You're developing an identity as to what is, what speaks to me and what's good. And I look back, I know what those tapes have. They had all genres of music. I mean, everything so I listened to all this music and it's still shocking. You'll go and meet someone in a professional setting and they've never heard anything that's popular. And then you're like, how are you connecting with the rest of America <laughs> without that reference point, at least? So I recorded off the radio for a large part and guitar found me. You know, my music, guitar is very accessible. When you go to a conservatory at Manis and Juilliard and you're studying guitar, you're essentially the bat boy of the baseball team. <laughs> you're you're on there. Hey, you get a uniform. Congratulations. You can hang out in the dugout, but your role is very limited. So this just and that's because of the mechanisms, right? So what I'm saying with guitar is that it found me. I found it in the back of a closet, and I just pursued those interests from the radio. So. Really, music came first, the instrument came second, school was down the road when I made a decision about what are you going to do with this life that you have? You know, when you grow up with with childhood trauma, which I do have experience with, you look at the world very differently. You look at the world as on a timer and you say, I have this much time left, what am I going to do with it? So to me, music was hands down, well, this is a moral good and I know that it's going to give me a, a great run in this life. So it's a very personal decision, and I think the advice for students, if they're ever looking, and should I do music? If you have to ask, the answer is no. Mm-hmm. You know that that's that's really where you're talking about the highest investment. I mean, literally investing in your uh, student loans and all this business. But you can actualize that identity, and but it's not for the faint of heart, and it's not for the faint of committed. So I would say that, you know, music started off the radio. And what I mean with talking about guitar is that it's accessible. You can get into the game a lot quicker on guitar. If I had studied piano, if I started late, I was 13, 14. If I had started piano or violin at 13, 14, I would have a really tough time being competitive. And and that's the competition we were talking about, right? So I had to start.
1: Yeah, Um, I, I want to just interrupt because when you were talking about how you made tapes, You know, and you listen to radio. And my memory one thing I'd like to do in my Kid Fun and War podcast is share our memories from when we were young. And for me, I had piano lessons, but it was kind of a chore. But my brother and I would be sitting at the piano and he could play by ear and he would play. Songs that we both knew and we would be singing. But we also played records on the record player from like every musical show that came out. And it's amazing to me how you can memorize the lyrics when you really are passionate and love something. I did that with my own kids. I even taught them how to read a little because I would write down lyrics. We didn't have the internet when my kids were young. So I would write the lyrics to songs, even from Pete's Dragon, a Disney movie. It's a brazzle dazzle day and I would write it down and we would play it and they would read it, quote unquote, because they memorized it, but they would connect words and music and lyrics and, you know, it all and it all impacted on them. They love Broadway Today from those early years, just like I did from my early years. And when you said you found a guitar in your closet and it's Accessible. That makes perfect sense to me. And look at, look at this career you created and how lucky you were to have parents who love music. Paul, I think this was really helpful. And I appreciate everything that you do for the Philadelphia Youth Orchestra Music Institute. There are so many excellent programs that our organization offers and families need to look into opportunities that are outside of the school for their kids. Do you want to close with a comment?
2: Absolutely. I would say I have two closing remarks. One is for parents is that if you advocate for these opportunities, you know, if you build it, they will come, you mm-hmm. have to become a little vocal about it. And it's okay to ask questions and get that team spirit support to look for, how do I bring the benefits of performing arts to my community, to my school community, because that's where the consolidation is. That's where it's most possible. And the, just to, to touch on, you know, growing up, Hopefully you didn't have to write in cursive, razzle, dazzle. I couldn't imagine all those Zs it was handwriting. It
1: cursive because I couldn't read that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so the thing that you talk about, oh, remembering all these lyrics and all these songs, isn't it remarkable that we can remember and recall melodies and words from our youth that could be decades in there? Think of music in a child's age group. You're really looking at a time capsule because they will have those memories, you know, forever. And if you have quality music and quality bonding with great content, you'll share that repertoire with your family forever. And you'll always remember it. And music has that specialty where it can just spark the memory and you're right back there. So music has a component. We say sometimes that art is how we decorate space, but music is how we decorate time. So I think of it like time. Mm. You know, that's the investment.
1: And it is amazing. You can bring up a song from when I was a teenager and I can recite every lyric. And it's funny because when I'm with my grandchildren who are eight and now 11 and 14, but that eight-year-old, she teaches me lyrics. Like, I don't know how she could remember them. The lyrics are a little odd today. Like, wannabe, to wanna, wanna. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What are you singing? But they teach me. And what could be better? I'm sharing kid fun and with music. My two Absolutely. favorite things, Paul, music and kids. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having
2: me, Charlotte.
1: My pleasure. On behalf of everyone here on Word of Mom Radio and the Word of Mom Media Network, thanks for tuning in to Kid Fun and More. We're going to close with our fabulous theme song from Smith's Sisters Bluegrass. So, till next time, this is Charlotte Felcher. And don't forget to visit my website, kidfunandmore.com for activities, information about my books, and much more. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong.
0: She is, strong. She is true.